0: This is Midday Magazine for Friday, June 16th, and I'm Shelby Herbert. The southeast Alaska Dungeness crab fishery opened yesterday. Roughly a quarter of the fleet is skipping the season altogether. That's partly because many of them are expecting low prices. KFSK's Hannah Floor has the story.
1: Two days before crabbing started, Petersburg fisherman Paul Minish was in the cabin of his boat, the Heineke, speculating on crabbing prices. Sounds like prices aren't going to be as low as uh, we were quoted uh, three weeks ago. Now it sounds, and it's just rumors, but the, the prices will be, for Dungeness will be north of $2, which isn't a good price,
2: but better than three weeks ago.
1: The public won't know how much processors are paying for Dungeness crab until fishermen start offloading their catch and word gets around. But most crabbers assume it'll be lower than last year's starting price of $2.60 a pound. Kevin Tim is the fleet manager at OBI Seafoods in Petersburg. He says the problem is that there's still a lot of Dungeness crab left over from last year. He says it's expensive and customers just aren't buying it.
2: There's not a huge demand for it. Yeah. It's all about demand. And with the economy and recession, people aren't buying crab.
1: Greg Smith is the communication director of the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute. He says that while the Institute doesn't track prices, he has noticed the same thing. We believe the impacts of inflation are moving people away from from that species, from that category, and as a result is hurting demand. The Institute doesn't have any specific information on last year's leftover dungeness inventory, but they do know that snow crab inventory is higher than usual. The fisheries do kind of, they will kind of trend together, so we can kind of make some assumptions that um, with snow crab having a higher inventory, that Dungeness also probably has higher inventories as well. One way that crabbers make up for low prices is by catching a whole lot of crab. But last year, state managers closed Southeast Dungeness summer fishery two weeks early by emergency order because of low harvest numbers. Joe Stratman is a regional shellfish biologist for fishing Game. He says that unlike many fisheries, last year's numbers are not any indication of potential stocks for the summer fishery. But no one will know those numbers until the fishery is underway.
0: You know, we don't survey Dungeness like we do... In southeast for uh, uh, red and blue king crab and Tanner crab, so uh, we don't have any like any stock assessment independent of the fishery. So all of our information is fishery dependent.
1: Fishing Game collects data on Dungeness stocks when processors buy crab, so the department will know what to expect in terms of numbers at roughly the same time the fishermen do. Petersburg fisherman Paul Manish feels good about this year's potential harvest. He says the low crab price didn't factor into his decision to participate this year. He's heard that there were a lot of soft shells during last fall's Dengie opener. Soft shells mean the crab aren't mature enough to be caught and sold, but they're a promising sign for future harvests.
2: Hoping we can make up for it in volume this year. So, but yeah, it, it has
1: definitely taken the wind out of your sails, you know, when you hear those prices and your enthusiasm drops. But I was going to do it anyways. This summer, the Southeast Dungeness Fishery opened with only 146 permit holders registered for the season. Last summer opened with nearly 200 permit holders. That means roughly one quarter of the crabbing fleet decided to focus on other fisheries or stay home and work other jobs. Mike Wiegand is one of them. He owns the crab skiff, the deli. Wiegand does have another job, which means he can be pretty relaxed about his fishing decisions. Even if it's not the best year, I still have my other job I can kind of fall back on. So if it's bad, then we'll just try and have as much fun as possible, I guess. (laughs) We'll just let the gear soak and and play. One thing is for sure. Fishermen are tight-lipped. So now that the crabbing has started, they won't be sharing their Dungy numbers. That information will be available once the Alaska Department of Fish and Game evaluates data from the first week of crabbing. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. KFSK
0: listeners might recognize the voice you just heard. It's Hannah Floor. You'll know her from programs like The Common Good and Voices of Sitka Kwan. Hannah has raised money for the station since 2021 as our development director, but as a longtime public radio listener, her heart lies in community journalism. So this So this week, she left fundraising and
1: joined KFSK's newsroom reporting in small communities is often such an act of community building and of trust building. And I, I really love to see that trust you know, when you're telling a story about one person and then it really helps further the understanding of that person and the role in the community among other members of the community. I just, I love the way that the news plays such an outsized role in the lives of community members in small towns. My heart feels so full right now.
0: <laughs> I'm actually like getting a little misty-eyed in the studio. I'm not even joking, Hannah. That was that was wonderful, and we're we're so grateful for you. Thank you. I, every journalist I've met has had a really complicated journey to journalism. <laughs> Yours sounds like one of the most exciting I've heard. So I want to know what got
1: you here. It's just so fun to be surrounded by all of these reporters who are working on sometimes very nerdy stories right? <laughs> that's <laughs> like right digging that's down right. into, into <laughs> all sorts of policy detail and then also at the same time working on these stories that are about exceptional things that kids have done in the community or covering petersburg events and talking about ways that petersburg is distinct i mean you've stewarded so many different projects just in your role
0: as as a development director you've worked on a podcast you have a couple live shows every week. And yeah, I
1: feel like it did. I feel like I have these opinions about audio at, for a while. I didn't know where they came from. And then at some point I was like, oh, it's because I've listened to way more than 10,000 hours of podcast and radio. So, Hannah, I got to point it out. You're the only
0: KFSK employee who is born and raised Alaskan, born and raised
1: right here in Petersburg. What was it like growing up here? Well, not only did I grow up in Petersburg, I also grew up off the grid. I didn't have a TV. I didn't have a phone for a lot of my life. didn't have a refrigerator. I have this memory of walking around in the Muskegon behind my parents' house, daydreaming about working in fashion. I was probably like a late, late teenager or something. And I had these like kind of sad little pathetic daydreams. They were so small, I didn't know how to dream big. And it was fun to come back and realize that I had superseded any anything i had ever been able to imagine and also having lived in new york city for a long time where there is no social requirement to be polite to one another (laughs) and here in petersburg you live or die off of people's goodwill yeah you you gotta rein it (laughs) in if your natural tendency is not to be super kind you gotta figure it out tell me about what you were doing in new york I worked as a pattern maker with all sorts of big brands in New York City. I made mostly clothes that went down the runway at Fashion Week. And then, yeah, I made clothes for celebrities. Throw it's, some names out there. I, I, it's There's nobody. Like, I didn't dress Madonna or, you know, I didn't dress any superstars <laughs> like that. But, you know, I remember we, we had to stop everything one day because Shakira wanted... Uh, cat suits for her entire backup dance crew, <laughs> so we had to like stop what we were working on and like work on cat suits. One thing I made, Solange wore it like four years later, and I was really excited to see the picture and be like, I was like, I made that thing she's wearing. One of the
0: things I appreciate about you, Hannah, is just your fine attention to detail. And I don't know if that comes from, you know, years of pattern making or you've also taken so much of your own time to study this craft. You've, you've taken
1: classes. You went to press club. What's the coolest thing you've learned? Or- oh, that's a really good question. I just finished an online class about something called solutions journalism that, uh, I think part, I think, Finding out about the existence of solutions journalism was what, in the end, tipped the scale in the favor of wanting to be a reporter, because, you know, so often we listen to the news and it's like, there is a problem, and then there is another big problem, and here's a horrible thing, and it's just one after another. And solutions journalism looks at ways that a problem is being addressed effectively in one particular place. Having good news is really great for retaining listeners. That's fantastic. Any final thoughts? I want to say thank you to people who are who have faith in my ability to jump into journalism. You know, Tom Abbott. I pitched this idea to him, and he was nodding before I even finished the pitch. And you know, I, the people who I have mentioned this to have been really supportive and made me feel great about it. Have, you were in my corner ever since I told you that I was interested in this, you were always really supportive and um, really helped me feel like this was a a good move. So thank you and um, yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Hannah. I think you have a very exciting career ahead of you. you. Maybe uh, some long hours too, but (laughs) definitely a lot of excitement and I am very excited to start working with you. Thank you, me too. That was KFSK's Hannah Floor speaking about her childhood in Petersburg, her past life making clothes for celebrities, and her future in news. Wrangell's 68th King Salmon Derby kicks off today. As Sage Smiley reports, it's a smaller, shorter event
2: than in years past. This year's King Salmon Derby in Wrangell will be a shorter run than last year, with fishing open over two weekends, this Friday through Sunday, June 16th through 18th, and next weekend, June 23rd through 26th. Amber armstrong Hillberry is the Volunteer Board Treasurer for the Wrangell Chamber of Commerce, which puts on the derby.
0: This year, the committee decided to not go for two full weeks um, based off salmon and some of the other communities Who other communities are just not having it. Others are reducing the amount of days that they've had.
2: Armstrong says a lot of wrangleites work during the week, so the chamber wanted to still hold the event but keep fishing open on the weekends, specifically this coming weekend, Father's Day.
0: We have had businesses reach out to the chamber requesting that we still do it. Just a short amount of time because... This is their moneymaker, too, for our local community, Shop Local. Always got to give a pitch for shopping local.
2: Wrangell's Chamber of Commerce is in desperate financial straits, and that's reflected in the prizes for this year's King Salmon Derby. The top prize is just a quarter of what it was last year, $800 for the first-place fish. Second place will win $400, and third prize will win 200 There are also two $250 hidden weight prizes and other unspecified cash prizes. Wrangell's prizes pale in comparison to larger derbies like Sitka's, which awarded a $10,000 prize to its 9-year-old winner earlier this month. The prizes aren't the only change. There won't be a derby booklet with local information and sponsor ads this year either. Armstrong says that's because the Chamber is trying to make as much money as possible available for the people angling for the prize.
0: We felt like our prize money, the money should be given to prizes and not producing a derby booklet this year.
2: In addition to cutting time and prizes, the Chamber is also cutting back on way stations. It won't facilitate a way station at City Dock like it did last year. Armstrong says that's because the Chamber doesn't have enough staff and volunteers to man both stations. The Chamber will maintain the Derby's traditional way station at Reliance Harbor from 10am to 7pm on Derby days. Phone numbers will be posted at the top of the ramp for Derby participants to call the Derby attendant. Between 2017 and 2021, Wrangell didn't hold a King Salmon Derby because of poor returns. In 2021, the Chamber of Commerce brought back the derby by changing its timing. Wrangell's Derby is what the Alaska Department of Fish and Game calls an unsanctioned derby, meaning fish are caught under current sport fishing regulations and can't be sold. Derby participants must have a valid Alaska sport fishing license and King Salmon stamp. The waters around Wrangell and the mouth of the Stikine River, known as Section 8, are closed to king salmon retention, so derby participants have to travel further to snag a potential winning salmon. Before Southeast's king salmon stock started to collapse, Wrangell's derbies used to be timed earlier in the king run, in mid-May. And the island used to boast the longest king salmon derby in Southeast, running for a full month. Now it follows the restricted fishing season established by ADF&G. Ketchikan, which also used to run an unsanctioned King Salmon Derby, isn't casting for kings this year. In 2021, Ketchikan Derby organizers canceled the event over continued concerns about wild King Salmon stocks. This year, it's not clear whether Ketchikan will run any sort of salmon derby. Armstrong says the Chamber of Commerce will hold an awards ceremony for Wrangell's King Salmon Derby sometime next month. The delay is to keep the focus on the community's 4th of July celebrations and the ongoing fundraising efforts of this year's Wrangell 4th of July King candidate. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley.
0: For KFSK News, I'm Shelby Herbert.